Hello, this is the Fatigue Podcast. I'm your host, Kate O'Reardon. I'm a nutritional therapist and chronic fatigue recoverer. So my mission is to help women with fatigue, brain fog and bloating to have more energy to do the things they enjoy and get things done. If you're looking to feel energised and normal again, then you're in the right place. So my goal with this podcast is to share my story of how I recovered from chronic fatigue syndrome, share others' inspiring stories, and share useful nutrition tips on how to have more energy. Welcome to the Fatigue Podcast. And in this week's exciting episode, I'm interviewing Andrea Haas, a doctor, classical ballet teacher, Reiki master, hypnotherapist and EFT practitioner. So Andrea trained at Southampton Medical School and after 18 months of working as a doctor, she took three years off to do a full-time dance course and qualified as a classical ballet teacher. She then trained in sport and exercise medicine and has worked in rheumatology for the army rehab unit in Aldershot and in private practice. So she got interested in alternative therapies when her first secretary was a Reiki master and this opened her mind beyond Western medicine. So one of her jobs was in the musculoskeletal department at the Royal London Hospital for Integrated Medicine. And managing patients with chronic pain made her feel more like a counsellor. And so she decided to do a psychotherapy course in order to understand her patients better. The first year was hypnotherapy and the tutor for that year also demonstrated EFT. So once qualified, she then went on to study EFT and she is currently working one day a week in a pain team in the NHS, providing a holistic approach to the management of pain. And in her private practice, she helps clients to manage pain without the use of medication and also helps women who feel stuck in their lives. So, hi, Andrea. So excited to have you here today. Thank, thank you for having me, Kate. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, lovely to have you. Um, so tell me, so um, why did you sort of dis- uh, decide to study medicine initially? Um, it's something that I always wanted to do. I can remember from the age of 11 or 12 that that's what I wanted to do. I was fascinated uh, with um, health healthy eating, exercise. Um, So I was always reading about that sort of thing. Um, So yes, I was drawn to how the body works and functions. um, And it seemed natural that I should go into medicine. Ah, Yeah, that completely makes sense. Um, And then later on in your journey, um, you, you took time out to learn a classical ballet. So what made you go in that direction so I dancing was always a passion um and uh 
once I'd qualified uh, in medicine and I started doing my first house job, within about six weeks, I realised that I didn't want to do this for the rest of my life. Uh, I thought there's more to life than uh, working on the wards 24 hours a day, which is what we had to do all those all that, those years ago. Um, so I completed 18 months. So I did all my house jobs and got fully registered and then did six months in A&E. And then I decided that I was going to take some time out and it was going to be in dance. Um, and I think really to get away from academia and doing something creative and uh, which involved physical activity because I was uh, I was passionate about dance and and it seemed the logical thing to do. I was only going to take one year out, but I enjoyed it so much I took three years out um, and qualified as a classical ballet teacher. Um, but it was during that time that I realised I wanted to go into musculoskeletal medicine. Yeah, yeah. Was it through your own experience? So, you know, did you get any sort of injuries yourself that led you to that? Um, I did have a couple of injuries while I was dancing. Um, within about four weeks of um, dancing, I got uh, an Achilles tendonitis from the constant pointing of my, my foot, um, an acute tendonitis, but that, that soon settled. But no, I because of my interest in sport and exercise, it suddenly occurred to me that actually that's, that was the area of medicine I wanted to go into, into, into sports medicine. Yeah. yeah. No, and it's so important to follow that when you find something you enjoy and something that can help others too. Um, and so how did you sort of get into the mind body connection? Um, well, funnily enough, my first uh, secretary when I went back into medicine, in, and that was in rheumatology in a, a local hospital in Basingstoke, um, was a Reiki master. And she opened my mind to a different way of looking at the body, energy and frequency, um, and started lending me books. And one of the first books she lent me was by Louise Hay, all about affirmations. And I was just I was from then on I was hooked about how powerful the mind was and I started looking at other different other things and one of the things I started reading about was the placebo effect and how if we spoke to our patients in different ways and handed them different sized tablets or colors of pills it had a different effect on them um so yes it really led from there and from then on I just couldn't get enough reading about the mind-body connection yeah that's really interesting, Shani. And then, so how can that play a role in healing? So um, every emotion, I believe that every emotion and belief has a physical symptom behind it. And if you think about how we get stressed or anxious, it causes a physical response. You know, our heart rate goes up, we get sweaty, our gut tightens up, and that's an acute response to anxiety or fear. But if you then take low-grade anger or resentment or sadness, and they are chipping away at the body and changing those cells and causing damage, it's through that mechanism that leads on to chronic illness like rheumatoid arthritis or um, cancers. Um, so for me, I believe that every physical symptom has an emotion and belief behind it. 
Mm. Yeah, no, that that's so true. I believe that as well. I've read Louise Hay's books and yeah, I've seen that in my own life as well. So mm, mm. Uh, sort of lodged in your body, can't they? Yes, yes. And and yeah. I see it with my clients when when we're talking and then we start tapping using the emotional freedom technique. If we're tapping on an emotion, they will then get a physical symptom. And that homes back into that emotion that they that they have underlying uh, that physical symptom. Yeah. And does that sort of lead back into them? Do they sort of remember when they had that first had that emotion or is it like an accumulation of lots of things that have happened? So I can give you an example, actually, a really clear example. We were I was with a client and she was um, we were talking about her anxiety and fear and we started tapping. And then she suddenly says to me, I can't swallow. I really mm-hmm. can't swallow. I feel as if I've got something stuck in my throat. And it turned out that when she was about four days old, she was rushed to Great Ormond Street because her esophagus or her gullet was not attached to her stomach. So every time she was swallowing, she wasn't actually swallowing it fully. And then that led to that because, you know, as a baby, your subconscious is already up and running and it's having those emotions and fears. Um, And then, of course, she was separated from her mother to go up to Great Ormond Street. So there's the the fear of being abandoned. Um, But as we tapped around this, she got this feeling of something being stuck or not being able to swallow, obviously taking her right back to when she was a baby. Wow, yeah, it's really interesting. And that we can hold things for, Mm. you know, since we're four four days old. Yeah, yeah. Resolve. So, yeah, how do you sort of work with your clients to resolve their issues? So I mainly work on a subconscious level. So both hypnotherapy and EFT work on a subconscious level. The difference between uh, EFT and hypnotherapy is that EFT also works on a cellular level and removes the, the cell memory of that emotion, whereas hypnotherapy is really only changing the 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 files within the subconscious so that's the added benefit of uh, EFT but they work really well together Hmm. yeah really interesting that it's working on the subconscious and the physical body yeah yeah Yeah, that's interesting and so um, tell us about sort of hypnosis and how that works So um, everybody thinks, oh, you know, hypnosis is a bit of a woo-woo thing and I'm going to be out of control and and all this sort of thing, or I'm going to be walking about like a chicken or, you know, all these things that you see on the TV. But actually, um, it's using what we call a trance state, um, which is a natural state that we move in and out of on a daily basis. So, for example, have you ever left the house and you can't remember if you've locked the back door? Yeah. 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 (laughs) And you go back in and and you have locked it, but you can't remember doing it. So that's a a trance state. Um, Going on a long car journey and not remembering bits is a trance state. 
Um, I, I remember when uh, we were kids and we used to go drive up to Oxford uh, for shopping and my dad would be driving and then next minute he's turned off to work because the first part of the journey was the same as going to work, but he was in a trance state and automatically turned right into to go down to work. And my mum was saying, no, Fred, we're not going to work. We're going, we're going to Oxford. <laughs> again, again, that's a, a trance state. Um, uh, another example is watching the TV getting into a trance state and particularly you know if you're if you live with somebody and they come in and they say would you like a cup of tea and they ignore you it's not because they're ignoring you they're so focused on the sport or the film that they're watching that actually that piece of information is deemed irrelevant to the subconscious so yeah. so basically what we're doing in hypnotherapy is getting you into that relaxed state so that we can bypass the conscious brain to change the files within the subconscious. Um, and I think the important thing to mention is that you're always in control and the therapist cannot make changes which morally you would not accept anyway. So for example, as a therapist, you couldn't make that client next time they go past the shop to go in and steal something, yeah. So um, you are totally in control. Yeah, yeah. Now that's that's fascinating, and I suppose it could help overcome any negative beliefs they hold and that are stopping them from moving forward. Yes, definitely. Yes, hypnotherapy works for a lot of lot of things, um, from stopping smoking to weight loss to phobias, fears self-esteem confidence yeah as well as pain helping people with chronic pain yeah so yeah what made you want to sort of specialize in chronic pain so um when i was working at the royal london hospital for integrated medicine which was was originally the homeopathic hospital um in queen square um, I was working in their musculoskeletal department and again that was quite fitting because I was surrounded by homeopaths, uh, nurses that offered Reiki, um, mindfulness, reflexology, aromatherapy and then we had some traditional Chinese acupuncturists so I su was surrounded by uh, those, those sort of um, clinicians. Um, we were supposed to be seeing straightforward musculoskeletal stuff such as back pain, neck pain, shoulder problems. But what it turned out to be was chronic pain. Um, and what comes with chronic pain are emotional, psychological issues. Um, so that was the key for me moving into training in psychotherapy because I wanted to understand my patients better. Um, and then that first year, as you rightly say, was it was hypnotherapy. And then I moved on to training in EFT. So I realized that EFT and, and hypnotherapy were key to helping people manage pain without the use of medication. Um, and so I decided I would move into, into that area. Um, the missing link for that was Dr. John Sarno, um, who is an American rehab doctor. Um, had his own clinic in New York, looking at uh, patients with back and neck pain, but purely looking at their emotional traumas and their stresses in their lives. Oh. Uh, so is that where you sort of 
first heard about this? Yes, because that was the sort of missing link. I was still getting very confused with my patients and they weren't responding to the treatment I should be giving them and then pain would move around the body. And uh, and then one of my colleagues one day said, read this book by Dr. John Sarno. And it was like the missing piece in the jigsaw puzzle for me. Um, And so therefore, when I had my patients, I started asking, well, what's going on in your life now? When When were you last well? And all these things would come up. You know, I remember one uh, uh, client um, saying, you know, uh, for example, after my father died suddenly, from that point on, I had back pain. But prior to that, she was okay. That's quite a big emotional trauma. Yes. So things like that, it's about going back and asking what, when were they last well? because then often around that time, there's some emotional trauma that's gone on in their lives. Yeah. Or they might have some emotional trauma going on right at that moment. So for example, uh, somebody going through a messy divorce and she's getting all these emails from her, her ex-husband uh, or her, the husband that she's gonna divorce, um, the subconscious may say, well, actually, let's have back pain for six months until all this is sorted because it can act as a distraction and we don't need to deal with all those painful emotions that are being stirred up so the body was trying to protect her yes yes that's interesting isn't it and and can the hypnotherapy in ear and eft can it completely resolve the pain it can do yeah you need to get to the root cause Um, And also looking at personality types, because if people are very people pleasers or are perfectionists as well, that can drive pain. So is that where the hypnotherapy comes in and programming negative beliefs they've learned? They have to be that way. Yes, that's right. Yes. Yes. So interesting. And then I know more recently you've moved into sort of helping women who feel stuck in their lives. So what made you make that move? So um, that type of client has always naturally been drawn to me. And I have to say they are the majority of my clients. Um, And I have personal experience of feeling stuck Um, So I know what it feels like when I was at medical school and I was first a doctor, I was extremely quiet, um, very shy um, and I felt stuck. I felt I wanted to, I I had ambition, but there was something holding me back. Uh, And when I look at all my clients, they are the majority of my clients who naturally find me. So I'm really passionate about helping women who are stuck Um, get unstuck in a holistic way um, and uh, move forward and feel as uh, they can work towards whatever's important to them in their lives. Mm. Yeah, now that's fascinating how sort of attract people maybe who are similar to ourselves and what we do. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's fantastic. So um, 
So I was wondering um, if you would have any sort of tips that you could maybe recommend to my followers who are maybe stuck or suffering with sort of fatigue mm -hmm. and not sure what to do about it. Okay. Um, as you know, fatigue and tiredness are quite complicated things to resolve, aren't they? They have lots of different aspects to them. But one of the things I do encourage my clients to have poor sleep routines or are tired is to really get into a good sleep routine. Um, and, you know, the subconscious likes habit. And if you're going to bed at 10 o'clock one night and getting up at four o'clock in the morning, the ne next morning, and then going to bed at midnight and then getting up at 10 o'clock the next morning, the subconscious really doesn't know what it's doing. It gets very confused. Um, and al although it's really, really challenging, I would suggest that sticking to the same time every morning that you get up and then naturally going to bed will fall into a natural rhythm as a as a result of that um, and then the more habit you can get even though if you have had a bad night's sleep if you still get up at the same time in the morning the subconscious knows where it is mm, yeah and that's so important to get into a routine and then your, your body clock sort of starts to get in sync doesn't it yes sleep is so important if you have if you can't sleep then you wake up feeling tired and that affects your whole day and then it can yeah. continue as a negative cycle can't it yes yes exactly and that's what I often see with clients when I see yeah often see with clients with chronic pain is that they can't sleep because of their pain and then they have a bad night's sleep and they're tired and those emotions those negative emotions feed into their pain which makes their pain worse which makes their night even worse and they don't sleep and they feel even more exhausted the next day and then of course they start to spiral down yeah yeah do you ever get any sort of clients with fibromyalgia yes i do yes because yeah. that can often go hand in hand with chronic fatigue i've found yeah. yes yes i i think you know the medical profession likes these labels but actually whether it's chronic fatigue me um depression uh, it's it's a collection of symptoms isn't it and often you know anybody who is sleep deprived even if they are physically well if they become sleep deprived will then start to develop these symptoms of um, chronic pain and depression which then feed into their sleep cycle again mm. um, and, and again a lot of uh, fibromyalgia have uh, emotional traumas in the past uh, which haven't been dealt with at a subconscious level. And it's a symptom as a distraction for those painful emotions. Right. Is that because maybe they're not ready to process them or they don't have the ability to? They, they don't have the ability to. So if we have a major trauma, um, for example, maybe we witnessed a really bad car accident or we witnessed, witnessed violence or we were attacked. 
it's easy for the subconscious just to put a lid on it and not not process it but a very occasionally that those it, well let's put it this way it takes a lot of energy to keep that lid on those emotions it's a bit like pushing keeping a beach ball under the water and holding it there it takes a lot of effort and occasionally your hand slips and the beach ball comes up so occasionally those emotions come out and the brain goes oh don't like this okay you're gonna have a migraine today and then, to distraction. and then you get a bit more energy and you're able to put the lid back on it so you can so people who who do have those traumas and it's no fault of their own it's just the subconscious wanting to protect them because the as you know the subconscious will protect you whatever happens yeah do anything because as well as as what it believes is that painful emotions are more painful than physical symptoms wow so the body would rather be in pain than yes, than emotion yes Yes. Mm, yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. That's so true, isn't it? And um and with these, yeah, because people can suffer from these conditions for lifetimes, can't yeah. they? It's yeah. Not getting to the root cause of it, really. So I suppose that EFT and hypnotherapy really get to the root of it. And yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't need to be one big trauma. It can be lots of little things that have happened and they just build up. Yeah. Yeah. And we're very good at not processing them. Yeah. I think especially in our busy world when there's so many distractions around us. Yes. Yes. Phones, watching television. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, I've having a bereavement and it's going, okay, I'm going straight back to work because I don't need to think about that I can I've got all the work to do and I can keep myself busy and I don't need to need to process it but actually what we really do need to do is maybe go to work part-time and spend the rest of the time sitting with those emotions and naturally processing them but in this busy world we don't do it yeah we don't give ourselves that time and space to check in with how we're feeling yeah yeah really clear those emotions it's yeah that's probably why there's so many sort of chronic illnesses nowadays and Mm. new illnesses that didn't really exist you know 100 years ago yeah because if you think 100 years ago there wasn't the tv there wasn't mobile that we just had to sit you know once it was dark at night you couldn't read, you couldn't do, you just had, you went to bed or you sat by the fire, didn't you? Or you played the piano and sang and yeah, and, and talked. Yeah, we really need to get back to that, I think, to having that balance of having some space for ourselves. Yeah. Rather than just, you know, doing all the time, just working and really not looking after. Yeah. And, and if you look at the, particularly the younger generation, even if they go out for, for a walk, they're on their mobile phones or, or they've got their iPods in, instead of just looking around and enjoying the scenery and listening to the birds. Yeah, missing so much. 
And I think with the modern technology as well, some of it is really addictive, like the way they design phones to make them addictive, to make you keep on look at them. Yeah, yeah. And and that's why Facebook is so addictive. Because every time we see an image, we have um, an endorphin kick in the brain, a dopamine kick, yes. And of course, that makes us high, and then of course, that we want another one. So we we scroll through the f- Facebook even more. Mm. Yeah. But the, but the other thing is that we're built into um, pick up distractions. That is an innate quality of our brain. So if you think about when we lived in in the bush, we had to be aware of strange noises because it might have been a wild animal. So we would suddenly prick our ears up and wonder what that sound is to protect ourselves. But the distractions we've got now are our mobile phones going off or pings of emails, but that still triggers the brain. Oh my God, what's that? Is it a wild animal? But it's only an email. Yeah, it's that sort of so, flight response. That's yeah. the mechanism. Yeah. yeah. So that's why it becomes addictive looking at our phones. And the only way to really get rid of it is to, you know, have your phone in another room so you can get on with things without being distracted. Yeah, that's it. And don't have your phone by your bed at night. Yeah. Because also looking at screens, it can suppress melatonin production in your brain when you're trying to sleep. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, thanks so much for sharing that with us today. It's really fascinating. And I hope it's helped all the viewers listening and giving them some ideas of what they can do. So I'll put um, a link in the description below to Andrea's website if you want to have a look at what she offers in terms of her services. And yeah, thanks so much, Andrea. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. It's been a pleasure. Been a pleasure. And I'll be back again next week with another sort of podcast episode with more helpful tips for fatigue. Uh, So, yeah, thanks for listening. And I'll speak to you again another time. Okay, bye, everyone.